0: Welcome back to another episode of You Got a Friend in Me. And today I have a guest, his name's Sunil, and we were connected when I saw Sunil present at an event called The Living Library, where he shared his experience working in mental health. I remember his raw truth and honesty and his insight and reflection into his current role in mental health really captured the audience and highlighted from the clinician point of view, the challenges that we face. So, Sunil, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thank you. (laughs) Sunil, first of all, why was it important for you to come on and present at The Living Library?
1: I think uh, we talk about uh, stigma and mental health a lot. And it is very important for us to talk about it. And we tell everyone like we need to talk about mental health, but the practice comes from within us. If we step up and talk about it, then it becomes a part of our journey. So uh, for me to come into living like I never thought about getting into it. First of all, Uh, then uh, Brendan once contacted me, hey, Sunny, we're doing this living library, and this is what it is. I really like the concept of it. I said like, wow, this is a very interesting uh, uh, way of uh, educating people. So uh, sharing stories is a very powerful tool. And uh, right from our childhood, children love stories and as much as we adult also. And um, thought that uh, it's a great initiative to share my story. to the people mm. in general, yeah.
0: <laughs> a, it's great that you took that initiative and in. Even though you may have had fear to share your story, um, because as clinicians, it is scary sometimes. Um, we have to sometimes put on the persona of being, you know, having everything together and perfect. But to be able to reflect on our practice and voice our challenges, it, it, it is not an easy feat to do. <laughs>
1: Definitely not, I had to think twice, <laughs> I said uh, at one point I said yes to Brendan and then I came to back to my office like what the hell did I uh, say, so um, I contemplated a lot and went back and forth in my thoughts like should I go ahead or not, um, then, um, well, then I realised like it's putting myself uh, out of my comfort zone and um, Putting myself out there and um, being that vulnerable in a vulnerable position to share myself and open up um, was a big challenging uh, situation. But it's um, yeah, it helped me to understand the courage mm. and uh, to share and um, courage to speak in public. Where we as a clinician always have that thing like we are here to fix everything. We are here to resolve problems and stuff like that. So we should not, we should be strong. We should not uh, keep ourselves contained. But then I realized like, um, well, what's what's wrong in sharing? What's wrong uh, showing that side of you that uh, which is very similar to any other People and mental illness is something that doesn't come with uh, what uh, with your uh, income or uh, with your uh, status or uh, your caste or religion or race. It's universal. So when we talk about one in five people with mental illness, so count within our staff. So it, we are not excluded. So mm-hmm. I thought that yes, let's do this, and that's what motivated me to come and speak. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and what captured me and made me so interested in what you had to say is because, yeah, as as clinicians, it's, it is rare for me to see other clinicians talk about, you know, the vulnerable things, the things that challenge us and to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. So, like, I knew as soon as I heard you speaking, uh, I wanted to know more and, you know, just... See the lessons you've learned, you know, throughout your career, and I'm sure there's there's plenty, and we'll we'll get into that later in the podcast. Because the audience doesn't know what you do at the moment, how would one of your clients or patients describe your current job or role? Well, (laughs) it's hard to
1: describe my role, uh, but um, at the end of the day, they said like uh, they will come up with the comments like, "Oh, I was." Uh, I got a lot out of uh, Sunil uh, after having an interaction with him so to understand uh, what's going on because my role currently is uh, to work with children uh, who are living in families affected by mental illness it's more of a a preventive aspects because we know that how challenging it might be to live with someone who has mental illness and how kids can be vulnerable to become unwell at the same time. So putting those things in place, uh, those uh, supports in place for the kids at the earlier stage and also helping parents to be like, you know, to be confident in their parenting ability because a lot of them lose hope and feel that they are not a good parent. So building those resilience in parents and children and also in motivating them and supporting them that they are doing a very good job, even with this illness. Mm. That's what uh, my role is. So that comes across in in my communication, in my interventions, or we call it support, uh, to our consumers. And um, they value that. They value that that openness. They value that uh, somebody see me, not just as a person with mental illness, but see me as a person who might be a parent and who is a brother, who is a sister. or, a, And uh, I have a bigger responsibility and see those challenges. They feel connected. Hmm.
0: I really loved what you said about that they see me as a person rather than an illness. And that connection, I believe, it doesn't really matter what role, what position we're in, even in as, as a clinician, like, through reflection and, and my practices, I realised that it's all about that connection. You know, we'll, even though we have the hat of a clinician or me as a nurse and you as a you know a uh, coordinator of the, the community family team, even though we have these roles on, inside we're just people, right? And we're listening to people yes. and to connect one on one with each other and remember that when we have those interactions, I think that's when we make the biggest impact exactly not only for ourselves but the people we communicate
1: with exactly I think that's that's what um, if you talk I've been talking to a lot of young people they don't want to know like what's their problem they don't want to hear about illness and sickness and negativity they wanted to see the hope how what is the way out so we don't talk about those hopes Um, in our practice or um, in our we just talk about you got this you need to fix this so but i know that i got this i know i I know i have to fix this but i can't see any hope in it Mm. so it's very important to see that hope even for us as an individual even if it's a consumer or their carers or kids unless they don't see the hope um they are always hesitant to what if it doesn't work so when you see a hope and when you see that people who are caring for you cares that builds their motivation up and uh, to seek treatments and uh, so it's very important to have that like if you ask any kids who is living in a very Difficult family environment, they won't talk about their problems. They want to know about successful people. They want to know how did you, what, do you, how do you do what you do? So like, oh, Sunil, they will ask me like, so what is your role? So they are more curious about you rather than their own miserable. So that when they see that, when they listen to the stories of you and your childhood and your upbringing and how, where you are now, they feel a the hope in it. And they feel that, oh, well, if somebody has come that far, I can do it too. So that is what uh, a lot of children look into it because when they are living in that environment, they get feel stuck. Mm-hmm. They don't see that. I don't know what my future is going to be like.
2: Mm.
0: That is very beautifully said. And I, I want to explore some of the things that you mentioned there. So to, the first thing, you mentioned hope and how important it is for our consumer to, to see that there is hope, and it it is a bit sad because currently the the system, the mental health system, and the way we deal and interact with our clients and our patients, we are focused on the illness aspect, the negative aspects, what they are, what they can't do, rather than what that person can do, and 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 as you know. Whatever we focus on is, becomes our reality, right? If you focus on the negatives, yes. all we see is the negatives. But I love that in your interactions, you highlight the positives, what, what, they, what hope they have for the future, what they can be, what they can aspire to become, what they still have strengths in. And, and you highlight that for them and you paint that picture for them, which is really, really beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think it's, that's the key, that's the essence of any practices or any work that we do with people that is what it is because we definitely know what an illness can do to an individual so it's any mental illness illness of our mind and mind is such a powerful tool for a person. You cannot do anything if it is on strike. So even even if you have a food in front of you, even if it is a delicious food that you always love, but your mind protests and is ill, even that is not make sense to you. Yes. So, it's uh, like uh, when somebody gets unwell, first thing they that breaks is their hope. There is like any illness. Just forget about mental illness, like if somebody who is recently had a heart attack or recently diagnosed with diabetes or or cancer, it shatters them. What is the shattering? It's just like all their dreams and hopes, it just ruins. So mm. they don't see anything. They see death, death, death. Mm. Same way like even in mental illness, they see all those things faded away. So it's just our job to bring that thing in first. Yeah. So when those things comes in, the strength comes in from yes. within. Yes. Only then you can treat a person. That internal strength builds in. Yeah. So um, that's why the hope is a very powerful thing to mm. somebody to have that, and it's hard to inculcate mm. those in consumers who are unwell mm. or struggling with mental illness. Yeah.
0: Because you know, in for both of our positions and our roles, we are put into the middle of a person's life where sometimes that child or that person has only known negativity maybe they're just maybe their families surrounded by negativity or they've seen mental illness firsthand or even substance use or abuse in the family and all these things shape that person's reality mm-hmm. and i think sometimes as our role is just to provide a window of hope and opportunity of what life can be like a sense exactly. of normalcy exactly yeah and and I like to use a metaphor sometimes about how if you're dealing with someone in the moment and all they've known is negativity it's like if you open up a book of a fiction book and you're reading in the book and and in that book yes there's a sentence and and the, the person that you're talking to, yeah, it, the sentence goes like Johnny was frustrated and furious, and he you know, he slammed his fist on the on the table, he was about to punch on with someone. And in that moment, as the reader, you could judge Johnny if you just randomly opened that page and started reading that sentence. You could judge that person, that character, Johnny, as being violent, abusive, and you know, out to hurt people. And in that instant, when you just see that snapshot. You can make a judgment on that person. You don't even take account into their past history and you don't take into account the future chapters to come, what potential that person can be. So, the metaphor I like to use is that when you're reading that book, you're not a passive reader when you're you're reading. You're an active character in that book that you can intervene, come in and talk to that person. And the things you say and interact, you can actively change the trajectory of that character's life or that exactly. person's life. Exactly. So,
1: And I can bring that thing up. Like you said, a very valid point called judgment. And uh, we know that in our professional practices, we always talk about being non-judgmental and stuff like that. But um, we have to understand that judgment is very much part of us. Every, If you are a human being, you are judgment anyways. But the thing is like being aware of our judgment and putting that judgment back of our mind. Like 50% of our thing is like being aware. Oh, I'm being judgmental. I'm being pretty judgmental. Mm -hmm. So when the moment you realize that, okay, let me put that thing back and come to that point of, uh, okay, listening, that becomes... Like, like you said, when you read that, when you get into the character of the book, and it's all builds up in our head, and like you know, all the judgment and stuff like that. Mm. Oh wow! And same thing happens when we go for a movie, mm. and you get into that. Oh my god, he was like furious guy and stuff like that. Yeah. And when you step out of the movie theater, you just like okay, well, that's um, good. He acted well, mm. so you just move out of character. Mm. And the judgment, and then you come into the character of, uh, it's just that, so our ability to disassociate mm. with that, mm. our judgment that we create in our, is all, is a very good for our practice too. Yeah, so 100%. that is, that is what we, see, I cannot say like, you. I don't want to say that, oh, you don't have to be judgmental, we all are. Mm. Be acceptable of that. So the moment we have that acceptance, it's easier to yes. work on it. So yes. if we see our clients angry and frustrated frustrated and like abusive. I had, ma- when I used to work in inpatient and there was, well, the patient was discharged. Nobody likes to be in an inpatient mm-hmm. and it's all up to the doctor. And mm-hmm. if they are so unwell, then doctor says, no, we have to keep him for a few more days and you relay that information and he's so furious and just don't want to be here and yeah. and abuses you and just like you know I understand it's not that so it's just like oh it comes like oh he's just yeah. gonna hurt me because that's our anxiety that builds of ourselves yes. so then we step out mm. after that incident and whatever happened we step out and sit and reflect and mm-hmm. just become it is his illness he's not well mm. And that's what happens. So that is where our, we put our judgement back. Mm. And uh, be mindful of this is what illness is. It's not that person, it's their illness talking. Mm. So it's emotions. That's again, the, what is mental illness? Is targeting emotions. Mm. That's the job to, you know, that's the tool. Mm. The mind uses emotions to target. And uh, in in our brain, so. Mm. It's just having that reflection. We don't get it in that situation, but stepping aside and having that debrief within ourselves and saying,
0: okay, this is how the illness looks like. Yeah. It's fascinating that you use that language because you said that emotions is a tool. And, and actually, I never thought about it like that. Uh, but it's interesting because to be a good clinician you have to be first able to ir- regulate your own emotions exactly because if you as you're right if someone is yelling at you and get, becoming aggressive verbally and physically intimidating your natural reaction is to react and to be defensive or run or you know fight back yeah. right but using your being able to recognize and reflect use your emotion as a tool to first recognize the emotions you feel and then putting on the right persona and the right the right person that you need to be to to manage that situation. It is a skill that mental health clinicians and good um, clinicians implement at the right time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And I think that's that's pretty common. Like you know, I know that when first time when I started working on the in inpatient unit, I was pretty scared because uh, the when I see that, it is a totally different environment. It's, it's So you just feel trapped. So what's happening to me at that time is my God all comes up. My uh, fight, flight, all this uh, anxiety of defense mechanism of my protecting myself comes up. It's up here. It's mm. just like I'm shielded, like mm. finding a way to get out or what is an action my viewers is on you just check on all those things that is like alarming mm-hmm. it automatically you comes in that and you are constantly conscious mm-hmm. and when you are in that situation for 8 hours or 12 hours the amount of time that you put in it's that emotion is up there and sometimes when you are there for long a longer time when you don't know how to put your guard down you walk with that emotion every time mm-hmm. So, um, it's very important that, uh, like you said, the regulation of emotion. We need to know when to put our guard down Mm. because that is not healthy for us as an individual also. So, um, that is one of the area that I had self-realized. And when you, as a practitioner, reflect on yourself, this is what I realized. Like, okay, well, I was walking around with a guard on myself Mm. every Mm. time, even I'm not working. Mm so uh i realized that that's not me mm. that's not me it's just uh, everybody like oh he looks very uh strange he's not even smiling he's mm. um very uh, serious looking guy mm. and it took me a while to understand that my emotions mm. and how to manage that mm. So, uh, I like you said, it is very important as a practitioner is to put things in place. And I speak that every time, unless you don't have a system to protect yourself, don't go helping people. Mm. Very important thing, have your life jacket on before you try to save somebody who is drowning. So that's what emotional regulation is all about, is basically you should know like how I can manage my emotions and fears and anxiety that I am intervening, uh, realizing when I'm on the field, or I'm working with a client who is
0: distressed and stuff like that. Sunil, so, no, you said so many amazing things. I want to explore so many different tangents right now, but I, I want to bring it back for one step and talk about how we mentioned about hope um, for our consumers is so important, but also for our the workers and clinicians I think hope is also important because where the judgment comes from and having our guard up all the time is because when you work in the mental health system, when you work in the mental health system and say you're in the inpatient and say you're in a high dependency or acute unit where people are acutely unwell and maybe they're aggressive or really um, unpredictable, your guard is up. And just like how our client, if they're in um, a negative environment, all they know is negativity. If the clinician works in that environment and all they see is negativity, then their guard is up and they will jump to the prejudice and assumption that someone is out to harm them more so than giving them the hope and opportunity that that person is just vulnerable and trying to seek help. So... So I think it's so interesting and, and important for us clinicians as well to, to have hope, to hear the good stories about successes and, and people who've gone through mental illness and gone to the other side and have lived a fulfilling life and accomplished things. Because it's it's personally working in mental health for the last couple of years, I've only heard a handful of amazing stories. Of someone coming out and and living an amazing life, because unfortunately, I see people at their worst, and we get them better to a stage, and then we disengage from there. And we, well, from my point of view, we discharge them into community care and where they'll be followed up in the community. Mm-hmm. So we only see the negative and the worst side on people. Yeah. So, if, some, if someone has worked in my area for ten years and all this is negativity. They will, if they don't self-reflect and think, they might come up with those judgments that you know people are drug addicts that they have no hope, their future is meaningless, mm-hmm. and I think it's so important for us to to see the positivity. Exactly, I think that's
1: where that is only the way that we can pull our guard down is yeah. Uh, uh, We always talk about positivity, but we need to put ourselves in a positive environment. So, for example, um, how many of us as a clinician think about um, seeking help for ourselves when we feel stressed and anxious and uh, mentally drained and, you know, so how many else think about, okay, well, I need to go and see my GP and see a psychologist or, uh, you know, debrief myself. No. Mm. It's like stigma right there. Mm. Oh, I'm a clinician. Mm. I'm a nurse, I'm a manager. I'm a uh, mm. like a, uh, man, a nurse manager. And you know how can I be like that? So we are fighting against ourselves, mm. and it's all the ego. Mm. When you say which it is, it's very important, and that's the negativity we see, is dumping of protecting ourselves. Mm from being vulnerable. And the same kind of thing goes into our clients. They find it hard to accept they have mental illness, like all of us. Mm. So there's no difference between our consumer and us because this is what it is. And that's why they are resistant to the treatment and everything because uh, they cannot believe that it is affecting them or they cannot have that understanding it's happened to them. So the same thing. So we put put ourselves in the same place, say them as the person that you are. So when that thought come in your mind, you normalize your emotion. Mm. And then you put yourself in a very environment that is more happy for you, where you're able to be vulnerable, able to be, uh, put your guards down. The moment you know that you can go there and, you can get those cards off and be just relaxed and that is where you learn to un- undo yourself and unguard yourself and be easy so working in that hours and getting back because sometimes everybody's fa- not everybody has a good family environment either we think we assume like clinician who work in the hospital has a better family environment it's not necessary So sometimes you go with that guard into another stressful environment in a family that gets a guard up again. So that person is always stressful everywhere. Like our clients, same thing happens. They are stressed in the inpatient unit because they're locked. They have all those things here. And then at home also they have a negative environment and all those things. So there are challenges right there. Yes, resilience comes. There are a lot of people who also have a positive environment outside the workplace so they use those kind of uh, environment to unguard themselves so their resilience are well cared of Mm. and it helps so we put ourselves in that environment nobody is going to give you it is our job to know ourselves and what helps us and we put ourselves and take that steps for us you don't have to discuss with anyone it's your personal choices Mm. So, for example, if I'm struggling, it's my job to get do something about that. Mm.
0: And it really brings back to the sense that we're all human. We're all people.
1: Ab- mm. Absolutely. Get grounded. Mm. Get to that basic. Mm. Get that clinician hat off. Mm. And um, be that uh, unique human being that you are. Yeah. Like anybody else. Yeah. So, um, if you're born, like I said, if you're born as a human being... You are prone to illnesses, diseases, old ages and deaths. Mm. So this is part of you. Mm. Just come to that basic groundingness, the truth of life. You're going to grow old. You're going to get sick and you're going to die one day. And it is universal for every living being on this planet. Mm. So accept that Mm. in a smiling way. Mm. And accept that every fellow us beings are like that. There's mm-hmm. no difference between us, though it is a consumer or is it your manager or is it your co-worker.
0: Sunil, yes. so, no, I can't agree with you more and I, I love everything you just said. And I want to just have a quick snapshot for the audience. Just to have, as you said, you don't have to share the self-care techniques that you do for yourself. But just for the audience, can you give a, a, a rough Outline of what are a few things that you do for self-care and to keep you from burnout and rejuvenate yourself to get back to work.
1: Well, uh, I think culturally speaking, there are a lot of. uh, I was born in India and uh, raised in India, so uh, uh, the culture has exposed me to a lot of ancient techniques uh, like yoga and meditation, uh, which was regularly practiced in my family so i picked up uh, those techniques and started using that as, as my self-care so uh, again uh, that is one of the aspects that i connects very well which is uh, very different to other people from different countries and different backgrounds and stuff like that so uh, i feel that every uh, that is my way of coping so one of the thing i do for myself is uh, um, i do my regular meditation which is we call it mindfulness Mm. so uh, and i try and practice those mindfulness on a regular interval in a day Mm. like probably if i had a stressful meeting Mm. after that i come and sit in my desk and my chair and take like five to ten deep breaths Mm. Just get me grounded. And when I'm leaving work, sit in my car. Take 5-10 to 10 deep breaths before I leave on the road because I know that road, road can be traffic and stressful and stuff like that. So those kind of uh, small small techniques that I use uh, on an everyday meeting. Every time your work doesn't give you a happy answers, there are always challenges, risks and a crisis. So we don't know what we are coming into every day at work. So uh, instead of coming that you know, that stressfulness of anxiety or fear, or I don't know what I'm gonna get today. I just try to come very calm with openness to do something different this time. So that helps me a lot. And uh, that doesn't give me a shock or surprise and just makes me, okay, let's do this. This is the situation, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So it those small small things that I started doing in I didn't never never had these kind of practices before but since I realized that I need to put something in place for myself mm. um, I started doing that I think from past 10 12 years mm. um, I've been using more compassionate mindfulness practices for myself.
0: That's great. Advice and, and something small and simple that people can implement exactly. as a, as a worker or anything, any part of your life that you find stress. And I, I too practice those small techniques of breathing. And, and because I'm not as structured and as <laughs> organized as some people, I do sometimes forget to do them. And you do notice that when you, when you don't do these practices, you don't feel aligned and you're more responsive I and mean, more reactive to your environment and how you start your day is how your day will continue if you start in a state of anxiety and and feel like you have a lot of pressure uh, that would carry throughout your work and how you interact with people exactly i think that's that's one of the things for example
1: like if you wanted to get us get ourselves in a shape like guys you need to work out so if you have a gym routine do we mess up if that is the goal to for my fitness no you just make sure that you go to the gym this is from this 12 months i need to be in shape you put a target resolution or whatever it is and practice that Ooh. and you, you won't be surprised like after like 40 to 50 days of regular practice that becomes part of you mm. so you don't have to take an additional effort you will never forget because that's become a rhythm yeah and habit So like people, we choose like smoking or anything as an habit. It doesn't come like one day you smoke and you become a to it. When you do it like on a periodic period of time, for a long time, then it becomes a habit. The same thing, as much as the negative habits we develop, we can develop positive habits too. It's just the commitment to it. Yeah. And but the tricky thing about our mind is like our mind always attracts the negativity. Yes. It's just like the battery, like the positive and negative things, yes. but it's more clinch. And it's right from the child. For example, if you tell a child, please don't put your hands on those switches, they will do <laughs> the same. I, I don't know, that's a weird thing. Mm. It's like even if you see all the it's very hard to get attracted mm. to our mind. For example, if in a day like you get like a 10 uh, good compliments, mm. you're a very happy person and there's one person who comes and mm. gives you a very negative comment. You forget about those 10 good things, people, mm. 10 people said. You yes. just stick to that one person who's been wrong to you. Yes. And you think about that all day and mm. ruin your day. Mm. So that's how our brain is. So it's very important. That's a reality. That's mm-hmm. for everyone, mm-hmm. not for just me and you, but it, it, it's, it's applied to ch- from a child to an old person across the range. Yes. So how we will, being aware of those things, how we will put ourselves in that positive environment is our job. Mm-hmm. What is positivity? For for me, if breathing and being with uh, um like good-minded people positive-minded people or reading of positive books is my it could be different for other person Mm -hmm. it could be like it's a gym or it could be like uh, going for a run Mm -hmm. or a swim or a trekking walking anything can be a positive environment nature Mm -hmm. so choosing our own positivity Mm -hmm. and making that deliberate effort Mm -hmm. to be that in that okay this is it I'm not going to compromise on that. Mm-hmm. Making you, I mean, love yourself, we you call it like
0: making you a private, uh, like a primary person Yes. before anybody else. Wonderfully said, Sunil. I can't agree more. And just one, se- one comment I would like to make is that being having self-care and showing yourself self-love isn't selfish. You, know? you need to look after yourself before you can look after other people. Mm-hmm. And um, Sunil, you you mentioned that you were raised in India and you you lived there for some time. Yeah. And my question is, one, what was your cultural upbringing like and how has that influenced your understanding of mental health?
1: Growing up was pretty challenging as a child because uh, my parents, especially my dad, uh, come from a very strict background. He has always been very strict towards us. The way... Um, he was a disciplined person, and he liked like his kids to be very disciplined. Mm. And the way they like to do the d- discipline, the kids is like smacking them, mm. beating them. So there's always a pressure as a child uh, to excel um, in studies, in whatever things that you do, especially in studies. And if you don't do good, then the punishments. So we were raised in a punishing environment. So which has a great impact on me. And um, also, um, um, it has um, the environment I grew up with, even though there was a big family support and everything, uh, I had few good people like I looked up on. For example, grandparents, they're always loving. As a kid, ask any kids, grandparents are very loving people They other than the parents. They think, like, oh, I like to be with my grandparents, and something. not everyone, but majority of them. So, I had a uh, good connection with my grandparents, and uh, they always protected me. Why? When dad gets angry, they have a power to control my dad. So, I love them very much. <laughs> so, um, so uh, those were the people that I saw in terms of uh, my protection mm-hmm. rather than, you know within the parents and stuff like that, because for a child that is more important. Like, So um, I know that uh, there was trauma there growing up. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you're growing up in a traumatic environment. Uh, then uh, when I lost my grandparents, and grandparents whom I was very close to, which was uh, a b- bit of a uh, emotional moment for me and, um, it was very traumatic because it's like you're open now who is going to protect you kind of uh mm. that vulnerability showed up so um then your anxiety you develop anxiety around that you know that fear and uh you feel sad because you don't know so the depression start to creep up a little bit and you live in that environment for quite some time mm. and uh Yeah, so that was uh, my upbringing. So I very well, at that moment, when you're a kid, you don't realize, you don't think about all those things. But um, somehow, I don't know, there is an inbuilt resilience uh, that came in me, which uh, helped me to cope with my stressful environment. And um, I developed strategies uh, in terms of my interest in sports like I'm a good athlete so I started working on my uh, sports and atle- athletics and stuff like that and then um, art then and as a child I always been a caring person I like to help people those elderly people or anybody in my neighborhood who needs any groceries I go and get groceries for them uh, in the middle of the game they tell Oh Sunil, can you get uh, some uh, go deposit this check in your bank. So I will go up, leave everything and go. And What it gave me was a, a self of self-worth. So that's why I was, I'm a, I'm a useful person. So that helped me to deal with it. So I never realized that until I grew up. So uh, it was a pretty challenging childhood. It's always a fight, always a competition because uh, uh, India is one of the largest populated country and um, it's survival of the fittest you need to compete you need to do your best to get to the job Um, yeah so uh, those kind of uh, harsh and uh, then when I studied uh, when I graduated when I wanted to do my uh, degree in social work there was a lot of resistance from families and from society because um, either you become a doctor or you become an engineer. That's the
0: only uh, mm. knowledge. A uh, lot of uh, Asian parents, <laughs> yes. like Indian parents knew about at that yeah. time. Even yeah. in the Asian Vietnamese culture, exactly. Very so yeah. they don't
1: see any other profession, or a teacher, mm. or um, uh, accountant, or a bank on finance. This is only the profession. Mm. They, and when I s- said that I wanted to do social work, uh, but there was a lot of. <sighs> um anger and disagreement mm. uh, because it's considered people do social work when they retire when they are old why it's not considered and it's a shame mm. in a family mm. so uh, those kind of resistance like what am i going to say mm. to my friends and to the society to their relatives and mm. everybody like my son is doing social work mm. Mm. so those kind of uh, challenges uh, were there but um somehow um, there is always um, determination in me and uh, what do you call it uh, a strength, a courage of doing things those people who resisted me that became a challenge for me to achieve so I said like well I got to do this So my dad didn't speak to me when I <laughs> for six months when I studied uh, when I was studying social work but later on when he realized what I do for my work and how am I able helping people then he um, was agreeable to that so um, yeah it was a bit challenging but um, well it uh, really helped me to understand life better and uh, complexities better and um, challenges and yeah that that was my journey uh, studying and raising up and um, uh, today, I they feel very proud of where I am, and i feel very proud of uh, that I can reach out to uh, people at anywhere in this planet, and are, is able to help them the the way they want to be helped. Hmm.
0: That was very, very beautifully put together, and and I'm I'm glad you know you put yourself out there, and 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 it would have been so difficult, you know, to go against your family and your culture, but. You know, you felt something that was inside you that you felt like you needed to do and you went with it. And I'm glad it turned out like good in the end and that you're, you're, you're good talking terms with your family again. But it does take a lot of courage. And I really just want to take a moment to commend that and thank, thank you, you for that. Yeah. Um, so we're getting close to the end of the podcast. Um, a question I want to ask you is what is one of the most rewarding parts of your job?
1: I think the positive uh, affirmations Mm. from people doesn't um, from consumers Mm. like at the end of the day you make a they feel happy with your service yeah so um, they're grateful Um, it's like we call it customer satisfaction (laughs) so when you hear a good things uh, how I was able to help them Mm. uh, Mm. that is very rewarding for me and um, because that's what um, heals your soul Mm. you say it like you know when that compliment comes in like I said I like to collect a lot of positives and that's why I do my best what I do in a way I can so that I can collect more positives because I know that the world is not always positive so um, if I'm getting one Negative hit. I should have ten positive to hit that back yes. because I know that that much strength I will need. Yes. So uh, positive affirmation. Yes. From the people that I serve, is mm. um, very important mm. and uh, and very
0: valuable for me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's retraining our brain to focus on the positive. Uh, exactly. Ra- rather than the negative, because as you said, it's a lot. Is enough negativity in the world. We don't need to feed into it Exactly. be our own worst enemy.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I think uh, one of the best things to do when you feel down and depressed and like is to to do volunteer, Mm. to put yourself out there Mm. and help someone, help a friend, help a society, help a community Mm. or, uh, you know, anything that is uh, because why we do this is like when you do something for others, and you make a difference in their life, mm-hmm. and the smile, that uh, thankfulness that you receive of that is, which is very healing mm-hmm. for our soul, which mm-hmm. is very healing for our mind. Mm-hmm. So it brings a that's that's the positivity I'm talking about. Is like when you're always in a negative environment, yes. find something to do, some something good in that negative environment, so you get some positive feeds to it. So you know that that's not going to change. Our clients and consumers are unwell when you are in a very, you see them in a very crisis situation. But you find that one patient that you work with who is very glad that uh, mm. John made a difference in my life. Mm. Oh, he was very good. Mm. So even though there will be there will be a lot of positive stories in our work. Okay. A lot of people who work there have a good positive stories that mm. the client has to talk about. Mm. So we don't see that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yes. that is what I always uh, look for. Yeah, positive affirmation.
0: And and something that I've been challenging myself to do is to, like even even just with our colleagues and our um our our workers, saying if we see something that they've done well or something that they've. They've strived and they've achieved and they've done really good, or even just an interaction that you have observed that was handled very well. Uh, I tried to make it a mission to just let them know that they've done something well, like that. Hey, look, like Timmy or Sunil, that that was I was really good at how you managed that situation and deescalated, exactly. and and they're just putting that positivity out there, exactly. and and being specific with your compliments and not being disingenuous, but being curious and. And making that feel, person feel good because that positivity, positivity would spread around. And exactly. I think that's,
1: you read, said the right thing. Again,
0: mm. compliments to each other, mm. in,
1: with, to our co-workers mm. and uh, support them mm. in terms of in a positive way. Because not everybody is wearing the same shoe as you are. Mm. And some needs extra compliments, some needs just one. Yes, <laughs> so I agree. You said it right. Those are the things that we can be doing it very often mm. in our mm. workplace. And make it very um, attractive. Some affirmations there, an environment more sensory-based, mm. which is calming, light music going on, and uh, some jokes mm. around to make that laughter coming in. So making those environments, a workplace environment, in a tea room mm. to have that. A funny thing rather than mm-hmm. always a serious and negative and this problem that problem make mm-hmm. it like a it's always there
0: Yeah, it's a small yeah. things, but it makes a makes a, difference. Makes a difference Yeah. So Sunil, what is something I should ask you that I should know that I would never think to ask you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm pretty transparent like that. Yeah, because um, uh I feel that um, the more we are transparent, the more the heart is open. Um, It's easy for us to live. Mm. Uh, The more we are tight and uh, uh, rigid, it's hard because you are suffering inside then. So Mm. I try to be as transparent as possible. And uh, like you said, the way you see me, that's how I am every day and um, yes uh, I'm most of the time if you talk to my friends oh he's uh, he's a smiling guy he always smiles he got a good smile or those kind of thing (laughs) but um, there are days where uh, there is a sad sad side of me Mm. and there is a scary side of me Mm. that a lot of people won't see Mm because that is the reality yes. it's there but that's how i deal with it uh every day in and out and uh, there is anxiety there there is depression underlying all of these there but uh, i have a tool
2: mm.
1: how i deal with that so that's uh my defense mechanism to overcome all my because as i still you know mental illness like any other diseases is very common mm. and it's increasing day by day with yes. the stressful environment yes. like you're just not all just people but the whole universe is uh, very uh, unpredictable mm. like recent bushfires, so many house pollution in the air, mm. economic financial dis- instability which how it's all gonna affect us and the stress of those things are coming, how I deal with those kind of things, how I can survive these things. Mm-hmm. And me and my family and my kids and how those worries are always bothering everyone, yeah. not just me. So mm-hmm.
0: it's very important to uh, put those things in place. Sino, and- thank you so much for coming on the show. And I just want to thank you for being open and vulnerable and transparent to talk about these things because it is so challenging for for anyone even a clinician and other people to be able to open up and I think that your your helpful nature of you know going out there and helping the the old lady with the groceries it really shines through in the role that you are in now and the person that you are have become and I'm so grateful for your courage that you've you've taken it on board even though it was against your cultural norm and your family's expectations but you, you've you followed that desire to help people and and you have done that in so many ways and made people smile and help them and you deserve all the compliments that come your way and because you're, you're making a good impact with clients and people you work with and I just want to take a moment to thank you oh thank you year. it's my pleasure thank, <laughs> thank you That's it. Thank you so much for joining us in another episode of You Got a Friend in Me. I can't wait for you guys to listen on and I'll catch you next time, my friends. Bye.